Hey everyone, it's your host Luke West back with another episode of Imperfect where we discuss topics of masculinity and manhood more intentionally and purposefully. On this episode, Troy Rice and I go deeper into our conversations about bullying, childhood, accountability, empathy, parenting, marriage, and more. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode and let's get into the show now. So the first question I always ask my guests now is who is one famous person, dead or alive, that you would have over for dinner and what would you cook for them? Um, Mark Wahlberg. And uh, and I guess I would say that because I just, uh, I don't know, I love all his movies. My favorite movie of all time is Shooter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a, a down to earth basic kind of guy so uh my favorite thing are like uh they're called garlic chicken burgers Mm -hmm. and i put like uh avocado quinoa hot sauce spread on it and it's awesome so i could just grill up some of those and maybe make some uh homemade potato fries on the grill and shoot the shit with mark Wahlberg. that'd be sweet that sounds delicious what what are some things that you would uh talk to him about uh just how he's been able to do what he's done because when I read the storyline behind uh, Mark Wahlberg, it started off with his uh, musical career and uh, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. And so from him to go from that to all these drama plays and uh, movies where he's very serious and very dedicated to his role, I just would love to to see his journey to that. And then I know his life outside of that, they have the, the Wahlberger show and, and all that and his brother. And so he's got a comedic side to him too. And movies like uh step brothers and stuff like that. But uh, yeah. Or is it the other guys? I can't remember exactly, but I think he's in both. Okay. No, it's the other guys. It's the other guys. Yeah. Other guys. Yeah. So he's, I mean, he's got a flavor of all and it seems like he's got a unique family life too. So I, I feel like we could just really get along. Yeah. I think his family life is something that I look at and I'm like, this guy seems like an actually pretty cool dad. And I feel like that's becoming a lot more prominent in Hollywood and in celebrities is that they seem to be much more caring, active parents, which is probably the nicest thing about the current generation of, of Hollywood actors. Yes, I'd have to agree with that. It seems like he leads a life of normalcy with his family and his kids and everything outside of this monstrous uh, celebrity career as an actor. Yeah. And so, Troy, why don't you kind of give a little bit about uh, who you are, your life, and why you decided to come on this podcast? So it's been a long journey to here, actually. I, I, uh, I did the whole went to college not knowing what I wanted to do with my life, went for communications, took a public speaking class, ended up abandoning because I was uh, terrified and ultimately went into finance. And I think this is true for a lot of people, which is I went into finance because somebody told me I was good at math when I was a kid and I was decent at it. But looking back is because I practiced it a lot. And because it was something that I was decent at, I fell into this, get a degree in finance and accounting and pursue a financial services type role. Um, Unfortunately, that was during the 2008 financial crisis. And I just was forced to find any job that I could. So I took an internship at a life insurance company. And then from there, it was a gradual progression up the corporate uh, corporate ladder with a couple of different companies, um, ultimately spending six years in finance and accounting, um, had the opportunity to coach team of seven people for two years. 
And then I've slowly started to learn a little bit about myself, which is what I truly care about and helping people and coaching people. And what I really enjoy is watching others succeed and being able to help them do that. And so I slowly had a glimpse of that because the last two years in the corporate job, I'd stepped into a strategy analyst role uh, within our sales organization, but I spent most of the time building culture programs. So I built a and led teams to create a recognition program, um, a work at home program, a uh, talent development program, and a leadership development program for the company. And ended up impacting 700 employees. And it was great because it was something that I truly felt passionate about coming to work every day, but ultimately got to a point where just the nature of the organization and the culture that supported it I tried to pursue a full-time career and I was kind of told that it wasn't something the company cared about. Um, And it got even to the point where I wrote my own job description uh, and asked to be the culture champion for the organization. And I was going to dedicate my, my career basically to doing that. And um, at that time I had the president basically tell me that he wasn't going to spend money or resources on that. So I think I did what a lot of people do, which is get angry and frustrated and pissed off at the people that are in charge and really got nowhere. I only got frustration, anger, hated going to work every day. Uh, I took that home with me and started changing the way I felt at home. And I have a wife and three boys and I just decided that life had to be better than this. And so I share this like with my public speaking and writing coaches that like the aha moment for me was when I was in Florida on a vacation trip with family and I had my brother-in-law, I was just uh, talking to him about how frustrated I was with where I was heading. And he said, uh, he slid a napkin over to me at the table and on the napkin, it said, you are enough, believe in yourself. And I've had people tell me that, you know, my wife said that my wife told me to pursue what I love and everything, but it was like, it, it was weird. But in that moment, I think it's because I look up to him so much. He founded a ad managing company that helps professional bloggers monetize their following and everything and did really well at it. And so I, I really um, thought highly of him and his entrepreneur journeys. Um, and it just kind of sunk in. And uh, it was at that moment where I came home, I started doing things that I didn't normally do. Like I started uh, practicing gratitude. I started meditating, doing hot yoga, anything to just kind of shake up my world a little bit and uh, wrote down two things that I really care about in life, which was education and agriculture. And uh, within the next two years, we created a agriculture company that helps the uh, farming community run sustainable businesses. What also came out of that was a online farmer's market model where in Michigan, you could go onto our platform and shop a farmer's market ahead of time online, just like you were shopping any other uh, online shopping platform like an Amazon. And then behind the scenes, we were creating business models and marketing materials and thoughtful digital content for farmers so they could grow their business. And then the side of that was I wanted to share my journey of growing up as a kid, doing things that other people kind of told me to do and ended up in a place that I wasn't happy. And what I try to do when I go into schools now is get students to start thinking about things they love because the earlier on you can think about something that you love to do will help you get down the path of doing something that really brings you enjoyment every day. 
And so I try to speak as early as uh, elementary schools, if they'll have me and, you know, the flavor of the presentations and the discussions are a little bit different every time, but uh, most importantly, middle school and high school students, because they're first starting to, to discover their skill sets and developments. And so um, try to catch that early and teach them to grow with a growth mindset. And then uh, while I'm there too, I, uh, I share perspectives of bullying. And the reason I do that is uh, I was bullied as a kid. It's weird because I chose to shelter in being bullied as a kid for probably 25 years. Um, and what my doctor would tell me is I have a natural path doctor that I see in addition to like a physician. And basically she told me about five years ago that I wasn't going to get to a point where I could really grow myself until I let go of all these emotions that were next to my heart. And so it wasn't until I started practicing gratitude and learning more and being more vulnerable is when I understood that I needed to just really share my story as a kid. And so I would go to school every day terrified because I was born with two lazy eyes and I had these thick glasses, which is funny to think about uh, now because glasses to a lot of people, especially if they're in tune with the uh, Warby Parkers of the world and the cool glasses that you can kind of order and try on. Um, back then, glasses were not popular at all. So I got picked on. Um, they you know, would shove me, take my glasses off, throw them on the ground, crush them. What's sad is I couldn't see. So not only was I upset, but I had to have my parents come pick me up every time because I couldn't see anything. And so I never talked about it, though. My parents always tried to get me to open up, and I just kind of internalized it for a long time. And then I speak about the perspectives of bullying because for some odd reason, I still felt like the people that were bullying me needed a second chance. And I learned it later on in my and when I got to high school because I ended up dating one of the bullies and I found out that she had a she had a, a bad home life issues with her with her father and and her mom and kind of got her in a roundabout way to tell me that the reason that she acted the way she did when we were younger is because she didn't feel safe at home and it was her way to fit in. And so not only am I starting to release my own vulnerability I'm 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 slowly starting to realize that there's more in this space that could be taught in schools as far as not jumping straight to discipline for bullies and really digging in and trying to understand and ask better questions and so it seems to be pretty valuable for schools because bullying is still pretty highly uh, around in, in a lot of areas and in most cases, it's very easy to get angry and discipline somebody that's misbehaving, not as easy to be patient and ask better questions. And so I try to share that story to get kids at an early age and, you know, teachers and parents and stuff to have patience and understanding um, the reasons why people might bully each other. Yeah. And so I find it really interesting kind of how your story ties together in the sense of why you would start these culture programs at your workplaces. Did you find that kind of was as a result of your experiences being bullied? You know, you maybe wanted to have everyone belong or feel welcome. Is that kind of, do you think those are connected in a lot of ways? Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. So as a kid, all I really cared about when I was being bullied and growing up was fitting in, you know, and I think a lot of kids can relate to that. Like wearing the same clothes, listening to the same music, 
And so the feeling of being bullied made me feel like, how can I go to school every day and make people like me? Because that will make me feel safe. And so I slowly started to develop this mindset that if I just did things that made other people happy or other people like me, then I wouldn't have to put myself in situations where I could potentially get my feelings hurt. And so the way that I kind of think through now um, is leading a life of validation, like always doing what somebody else tells me to do, because if I were not to, then I'm afraid of what they would say or how they would act and then how that would make me feel. And then to your question on top of that is walking into an office every day next to people that have their head hanging down. It's a hard thing to think through. Like when you walk in and you have, you know, two or three people that are looking down and never looking up, never saying hi. And the feeling like they're probably coming to work and there's something about their work they're not happy about, whether that's the people they they work with or the job that they do. And that really just it burned me. Like I, I, I wanted to create this place where people could not only feel safe, but really enjoy what they do and enjoy the culture of people around them. And when I was asked, and I think this is kind of like a crucial moment of understanding on why, because I had a manager that it wasn't, it was a great person, but didn't care about those type of things. And so whenever they got brought up in conversation, um, he would say like, why do you feel the need to do these things? Or why do you do this for the company? Because it feels like you're not getting the senior leadership support that you need. So why do you keep trying to do these? And my response in those moments was because I wanted to create a place where I envisioned coming into work every day and this is what it looked like. And what that looked like was a place where people walked in with their heads up, saying hi to everybody, smiling about the work that they did and feeling comfortable about their you know work-life integration not only in the office but at home there's nothing better than putting a smile on someone's face at work i don't know what it is but i love making people happy at work because I, I know like i'm young i i'm like 23 it's my first job but there's to me nothing better than sometimes being almost a distraction or or giving like people five minutes of your time to just make them happy or put a smile on their face, even if it's distracting them from work. Cause I think those are the moments where you realize, you know, maybe if I'm not enjoying this place, I can at least tolerate it for now because of these characters that are there. Like whenever my sales team or anyone on my team um, at work gets a uh, sale or anything like that, I go down and give them a high five. It's very minuscule, but I'm the only person in the office that does it. And so therefore I stand out as someone who is a culture changer. It's very like, I love to encourage people like that. I try to find ways to make people laugh. You know, on, on, I find Tuesday is the hardest day in the office. So I'll go around and I'll give people like fist pumps when like one time during the day. And it's, it's like something so minuscule, but it actually changes the whole mood of the office, it feels. And that's my favorite part of work is even if I'm having a down day, I know that I can smile by making other people smile. And then that will get me through the day. It makes the day go by so much quicker. So like I commend you a lot for doing that, even without senior leadership or, you know, like that support, because it is important that people come to work happy and i think we're starting to realize that a bit more and i don't know what it is but maybe senior management doesn't buy that as much because they're not 
like they have the perks that we don't have. It's almost like the like the rich don't understand the problems of the poor because they're not the poor, right? Like they have different issues, so they find support in different ways. So I, I find that really interesting. And you kind of know like this life of validation, even though making people like happiness doesn't come through being it becomes validated for who you are, not who you're trying to be, which I think that space was a, a, a way to make you who you were. Well, first of all, Luke, I love that, man. That is so cool that you do that, dude, because, and I'm a firm believer in this. My kids will make fun of me. My seven-year-old loves this, but um, high fives, man. I just get jacked on high fives. And there's a lot to be said about it because it's the transfer of energy, you know? And so like Tony Robbins talks a lot about like physiology and stuff like that. And that stuff matters. Like, I don't know anybody I've ever given a high five to that didn't put a smile on their face. You know, I don't care what's going on in their life in that moment. Like at least five seconds had to be a transfer of energy. And if Luke's all jacked on energy, you better believe that whoever's receiving that high five is going to feel good in that moment, man. So kudos to you. Thank you. I, it's just something I, I love to do because I don't want to see anyone at work not having a good time, even though if I'm not like, it's just, it, it sucks the energy out of people. And I'm like, why suck energy out of people when you can just throw energy into people? And like, it's, it's just like the, it doesn't take a lot. It really takes two minutes to go around. And you might think, you know, I might get recognized as being distracting if I do this, but never have I ever been seen as distracting. Normally it's, if anything, I got props for doing it. And a lot of people enjoy it because you know, sales can be a hard life and it can, you can go weeks without a sale. So if you see someone come down on your team, they're like, oh, they're recognizing me for what I'm doing. And this isn't another salesperson. This is still someone on my team, but it shows that they're reading the emails. They see that I'm putting in the work and like, it always makes them smile when I go down and do that. It's such a simple task, but it's something that can get you recognized as well you don't do it for recognition. You just do it because you're a good teammate. Yeah. And you're, you're being you. We shouldn't live our days based on what other people think we should do. We should live our days based on who we are and that's you. And people are going to love that about you. And the ones that are not are probably just not in the right place that they should be because if they were in the right place then they would know how awesome it is to be around somebody that is allowed to you know transfer that type of energy. So good for you, man. Thank you. I think that's a good transition to kind of this next topic of, how did you escape that world of validation or, or acting a different way to be validated, whether it was, you know, when you were younger and kind of being bullied, how did you escape that? Yeah. Um, I was fortunate when I was younger to, I don't think I ever really escaped it when I was younger, but one thing that I used to help me through it was I was a decent athlete. And so I naturally had uh, people that looked up to me just for being a good athlete and a good role model because being an athlete and being somebody that cares about people makes you a powerful person. I use that and that helped me a lot. What it didn't help is in areas that I wasn't confident in. And so any area that either I had somebody tell me that I struggled at or that I realized that I struggled in myself, I really had a hard time not getting somebody else to validate it. Uh, and whether that was having friends, like the right friends to hang around me and what they cared about and then trying to mold to that because I wanted them to be my friend or whether that was school related things. And you know, one thing I share a lot with kids in schools too, is 
a lot of the industrial age school system frameworks are built to get you to, to study to a test, right? To get a grade. And there are kids that are good at that, that good at getting, getting grades that, that they need to get or that they want to get. But then there are some of us that try hard and just might not do well at, you know, taking tests. Maybe we do better at articulating uh, what we understand. And so I was the kid that basically I'd try my ass off to put in the effort and the homework and everything. And I would not do well on tests sometimes. And even to the point, and I was sharing this with my running coach the other day, which is the ACT or the SATs that help you get into college and everything. I took it three times and the highest score I ever got was a 19 on the ACT. And I couldn't get into any of the colleges that I wanted to until I wrote an essay. And basically my essay, and I just pulled this out of the closet the other day, which is awesome because inside it was the same type of verbiage that I speak with now in schools about, about being a leader in yourself and, and helping others and community and all that was all in my uh, essay at uh, Grand Valley State University. And, and that's what got me in. They, they wrote me a letter and said that that's, that's why they accepted me in and but I mean, those are the type of things that when you're a kid, like you, you live by, right? You live by, oh man, I'm not a good test taker or, oh, I'm not good at math because I can't figure this problem out. And all of a sudden you fall into these, you know, these narrative fallacies that really aren't true. And so I don't think I ever got over it, but I, you know, being an athlete and, and helping people really, really got me through that. Um, what really changed my life as an adult was to really place self value on myself. And it's something that I think anybody that struggles with kind of shakes off when the question's asked, which is like, when you think about who you are, what you're good at, what you can do to the, do for the world, do you really place value on yourself? Because I was somebody that didn't like I would volunteer and do a lot of things for free. And in my mind, I was telling myself that it's because I care. And, but at the end of the day, it's, does that tell you that you don't really care about yourself? Because if you're really good at something and it's a value because people care not only about you and trust and the relationship, but in what you're actually offering them, then you should be able to value yourself. And it wasn't until I decided to make that change is when things happened for me. Like, stop giving things away for free. It's okay to volunteer. And I'm absolutely a big volunteer um, in the community, but it's okay to have people uh, pay you for what you're good at. And that was a huge moment for me because I was, I, I still today, I struggle sometimes. And I, I thank my, my wife, cause she's a, she is the person that holds me true to myself, which basically is like, you know, cut the bullshit and tell us what the real truth is behind this. And so, yeah, I think for anybody to really get past that, you have to really understand who you are and that you're valuable. So was that kind of the process and growth point of figuring out you are enough? And like, so how did you as a young, or I guess as you are now, you talked about how you look at it and you see that the bully was someone that was hurt too. So when you say you are enough, you kind of had that amount of sympathy and empathy to know that you are enough related to you as a, as a bullied individual, but also related to the bully years. Is that correct? Yeah. And I, I guess what I, what I share is both people sh 
lead their lives with insecurity. And how I back that up is for somebody to be bullied means that they probably are leading a life that is potentially devaluing themselves. And maybe it comes from a place where they struggle with personal appearance or knowledge or whatever it is that puts them in a position to get picked on. And then on the opposite side of that, it is the thought of somebody coming in and using the act of putting somebody else down for the purpose of creating happiness or creating some type of overcoming obstacle. Let's call it a bad home life or Maybe they're, they have their own perceptions that they're still trying to deal with. And so instead of being the person that kind of gives in, they're the person that acts out. And my belief is that both of those people are coming from the same place. And so I wrote an article basically that said, uh, you know, no child is born with an angry heart. And I believe that like they may have been born into a situation that causes them to take action because they don't know any better. And if we were able to ask better questions and help provide the right support system, instead of just basically reprimanding them and telling them what they're doing is wrong, then maybe we could start to change the mindsets of not only the person bullying, but we could create uh, a better environment, better growth leading environment for those that are being bullied. I think, what's your thought on the, just the emotion anger, especially in young men or men in general because i feel like a lot of the times you know the, the flaws that men have with identity comes between the intersection of anger and shame and figuring out you know shame is what makes me feel guilty but anger is my kind of resolution to shame but then it's just this endless cycle of anger and shame because you're ashamed about your anger but then you're angry so you lash or you're, you're angry about your shame so you lash out kind of what are your thoughts on just the emotion of anger so, so let's probably, let's start with shame first, because shame and mistakes or accepting mistakes are things that we all are challenged with. And there are industries out there that are proven examples in research. And so, you know, the book that I most notably quote often is Black Box Thinking by Matthew Side. And what he does is he breaks down the research behind like the medical industry versus like the aviation industry. And so the black box comes from the concept of uh, implementing black boxes in aviation so that you could learn about the mistakes that happen during catastrophes or plane crashes or helicopter crashes. And so what it does is it helps eliminate the blame and the mistakes, right? Because most of us, when we feel like something that we did, maybe it was something that we thought was the best intention or the best thing that we could do in the moment. We try to save ourselves by blaming others. And by saving ourselves by blaming others, we're not open to accepting mistakes. And in the book, it talks about um, situations where you don't accept mistakes you never learn from. And so industries that continuously try to cover things up, are basically saying that they're not really teaching anybody to learn from them because a mistake is going to continue to happen unless you actually internally realize that you should have done something different in that moment and to learn from it. And so when we introduce that concept with anger, we can see how it's natural to, instead of in the moment, accept fault and something that we can grow from, 
we immediately get angry because it, it makes us feel better, right? Because nobody likes to sit there and say, I didn't do this right, or I made a huge mistake here because you're being vulnerable in the moment, which means you could expect somebody to retaliate with saying something that is not nice, or they could tell you something that you don't like to hear. But in those moments, you have to act with patience if you want to grow. And so I think they go one and the same. And I actually had, so Denise Walsh is a podcaster. She leads a, a podcast called uh, The Dreamcast. And she asked this question because she had parents that would love to learn about how to channel anger, not only in the moments of like their kids being involved in bullying, but any type of situation where they get mad at their own kids or they get mad because their their son or daughter was was hurt or whatever in school and so the best thing that I could offer in that moment was patience and it sounds it sounds simple and difficult at the same time but if we truly want to pause ourselves and not act out with anger we have to build in this practice of patience and I'm guilty of it just like anybody else, even with our, our kids. I mean, I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old that go at it like crazy. And naturally, I want to just yell at them. But I know that yelling only creates shame and then it creates blame. And then what you end up hearing is your kids turn around and do the same thing, right? When I ask Kellen about something, he blames Trevin. And then I reflect on that. And I'm like, well, I'm not really doing a good job as a teacher if I don't get get my kids to think about what happens in every situation throughout their days. And if their first thought is, well, why did so-and-so do that? Or why did the teacher say this? Or is, and in, in that moment, if you're framing it in a way where you're blaming somebody else instead of taking ownership, then you've already went down the path of, of not growing, right? You've already went down the path of, of accepting um, mistakes without growth. And so I'm trying to do the best in myself with patience, but I'm also trying to get my kids to think differently about the thoughts and questions they have. And is it propelling to them and growing themselves? Yeah. And I think that is an amazing way of framing it. And I know you've kind of talked about or hinted at the t topic of accountability in a lot of this, and you don't learn from mistakes. I forget exactly your wording on it. You don't learn from mistakes. You don't admit our mistakes. I think that's kind of like the, the framework of, of kind of what you said. But in terms of that, I heard a lot about the kind of, or what stuck with me a lot was the theme of accountability and how that plays a part in your own maturity and your own life. So kind of what are some examples of, of ways that you've used accountability, whether you were right or you weren't right. I think that's one thing I'm really struggling with as a young man is what do I actually take accountability for? what should I be taking accountability for if it's not my fault, if it is my fault? Like, where is that line for me? I think that's one thing I'm personally going through right now. Yeah. Self-reflection is a huge step into the world of accountability practicing, because if you're not willing to spend time on yourself, learning about things that happen and reflecting back on things you could do differently, then you're really not giving yourself a chance. And accountability is... I guess there's like, there's two concepts in here. One is accountability in yourself. And then the other one is accountability as in the aspect of having others help you. Because 
And a lot of people, when you think of like accountability partners, you you think about, well, I want to start going to the gym, right? And I want to get better. So I'm going to bring in an accountability partner or I want to create better food habits. So I'm going to, you know, ask my wife or whatever to hold me accountable. And we do that so that we can slowly break down the bad habits that we fault to and have somebody basically light the fire underneath us. And when we do that, we're creating this opportunity where we don't want to admit mistakes. We don't want to be shamed. And so we finally hold ourselves accountable by people pushing us. The, the other aspect is it within that self-reflection, which is in every moment, there is an opportunity to learn, whether it was you in the situation and somebody else was truly at fault and they should be holding themselves accountable. But within that moment, how did you react? And like, did you have an opportunity where you could maybe help coach somebody and hold yourself accountable there? Did you have a moment where you chose to do nothing because you felt like if you did something, you might've made a mistake? And so I think every situation has a moment of self-reflection and, you know, we, and I say we, as in mostly like myself and then what I observe in others is that it's so easy not to spend time on ourselves. It's so easy to get through every day, doing a bunch of stuff, get all the way up to the time to go to bed, watch the mindless TV, go to bed, go, get up and do it all over again. Right. And so how often do we sit and not only just once a time at night, but throughout the day, do we stop and actually reflect on what we did? Like what happened in the last hour and could I have done something different in the last hour? And I think that that's powerful because I catch myself so many times where I feel like I have just like many people do a lot of things that I want to accomplish within a given day or given week. And sometimes when you have so much you end up doing a bunch of little tasks, right? That sometimes don't mean anything, but then you do it because you want to feel like you're doing something to progress. <laughs> Even to the point where it's like, I've got 20 things to I want to get done and oh, I'm going to go check my Instagram account or my uh, LinkedIn account because I feel overwhelmed. And so in that moment, could you practice your accountability? Could you practice your self-reflection? Maybe even write down a couple of things that said, all right, I feel overwhelmed because I've already put 10 things on my list that I want to achieve today when reality says that I could probably achieve five things really well. And let me circle the five things that matter to me and hold myself accountable to doing those five things. And that is, in my feeling, that is accountability and self-reflection in the same aspect. Yeah. I like to think I self-reflect a lot. Like I, I take a lot of time to do it, but I don't really write my thoughts down. And one of the things I've started to do recently is I will like, I write down when I do my prep calls with people just in order to, you know, organize my thoughts. But one thing I started to do like two weeks ago was write it down at the beginning of the week, things on my calendar that I had to do. And then I go back and I look, uh, look at my week and I see, oh, this was actually a really productive week or this wasn't a productive week. And I've recently put time limits on my phone. So I'm spending less time on my apps and I'm trying to hold myself accountable to that. So I, one thing I don't like is when you go and you see all these people on LinkedIn and they're talking about, you know, use every single moment for your day to work. And I don't really agree with that aspect of it. There's things I like to do to like, you know, tone down my life. Like I'll watch an episode of, of Netflix before going to bed or something. I still enjoy watching the hockey games uh, of the teams I enjoy. But so I, I never understand the aspect of always work, but I do want to start channeling my time 
better. I want to start being more present in the moments that I'm with people because I don't want to not have that. And so I, I'm trying to keep myself accountable to doing that. And I think it's been a it's been a really interesting journey, but and I, it's, I've also been using it to allow me to reflect more at night. So at, at night, I have all my apps shut down at like 10. And therefore, I have time to, to kind of like not be distracted because they don't, don't send me notifications anymore. So I can sit down and maybe plan out my, my tomorrow, my next day, figure out what I have to do. And that makes me feel a bit more organized. And it's slow steps, but I already feel a real significant process to it. Yeah. We could go through our entire day doing what we feel is work, right? But what we what we know to be true and there are a lot of books out there around like deliberate practice which is if we focus on things throughout the day that allow us the the biggest learning opportunity is when we have the most growth right so if i do something and i do it so intently that i'm allowed to reflect on it and grow i'm allowed to iterate in a moment then that allows me to build on something versus doing 10 things and not really giving yourself to learn those 10 things. And then most of the time we do those 10 things and then we're out of time. And then we feel stressed and overwhelmed because we didn't get to where we want to be. And then we get up and try to do it all over again. And so I think there's a lot of power in what you do, Luke, which is like, give yourself an opportunity to iterate on what you just did, even if it's small, like, did you make a sales call and how did the sales call go? Did they listen to the, to what you had to say? Did they not answer? What can I learn about that? Oh, then move on to the next one and see if you can apply something different uh, going forward. And because the faster you learn, so the faster you give yourself to grow within a given moment is the highest growth potential you have, right? I do a bunch of things where I don't know if I'm growing or not, then I could really accumulate like 10, 10 years of doing a bunch of things, or I could spend a lot of intent time on a handful of things where I am iterating, growing, iterating, growing, iterating, growing to the point where I have truly maximized my growth potential in that particular area. And so one thing I like to share too, is I over here in the corner, I have what's called a life check chart. And uh, it helps me like hold myself grounded where I have like these buckets of personal growth, business, uh, husband, relationships, father, health. And it's a simple like plus or minus. But basically what I'm getting at is like every day, did I grow in being a better father today? Did I grow in being a better husband today? Did I grow with business? And if if the answer is no, then I can dive back in my day and figure out what I did that I, that I could have done better in those moments. Yeah. So how about we dive a bit into the husband and, and father buckets of those? Because I think those are two things that I really want to touch on since this is a podcast about manhood and masculinity. And I feel like young men might be looking to figure out how to grow in those areas. So I'm interested in terms of what you look for in your day-to-day as both a father and a husband and in terms of that growth. What do you look at as tangible growth? As a husband, I try to listen better. And I would say like when I was new in relationships as a husband, I think it's easy to fall back to what you believe is true in every conversation or moment. And that's kind of what gets you in arguments that sometimes go unresolved. And there are a lot of times throughout our relationship that 
reflecting back on now, I wish that I would have understood better. I think the best way to do that is to be patient in accepting other people's truths, because a lot of the time when we force our own opinions, our own worldviews, um, we ultimately think that what we believe to be true is better than somebody else's. And I, what I've learned is that that's not true. And, and that we all come from a certain set of beliefs that shape how we look and feel. And yes, we can learn and we can educate ourselves so that we can become better in those moments of communication. But almost every time we're acting because we believe something is true within ourselves. And so what's best been best for our relationship is when we get in those moments where we disagree, I really take the time to reflect on what I can do better and bring that back to the table. And I don't think that happens unless you're able to break down the walls of just pure listening and, and accepting and understanding that what's there is, is meant. And just because you go through your day and let's say like you build this goal where you want to tell your uh, significant other that you love them uh, every day and you go through and, you know, some days I don't do a good job at it. And I'm honest about that. And when we go through the chart together, my wife will go through it with me sometimes and I'll be honest and I'll say, how were you as a husband today? And I may say, well, I, I could have done better. And she's like, okay, we'll explain how. And I'd say, well, I really want to wake up every day and think about, you know, giving you a kiss and telling you I love you versus getting up and doing what I think naturally we do a lot nowadays is we grab our phones, right? Our phone is the first thing that we look at in the morning. I want to get better at not always putting 100% focus into business and kids because I love kids too. Like I'm 100% playing a playful dad. And so sometimes I lose myself in those moments too. So I try to reflect on how much time did I spend in business? How much time did I spend having conversations that were not business related with my wife? And when she needed me in moments, did I put her first before the kids? And so those are some things that I, that I put on as far as growth. Um, and then as far as a dad, I really try to teach, even though they're super young and I try to be mindful of that because then I shared this on another podcast, which is like, I think it's natural as a parent to want to discipline or teach in every moment you can with your kids. But what at what point does it too much? I don't want to be the dad that just constantly comes home and says, all right, Kellen, you can do this better. You can do that better. And I want to be a balance. I want to teach him and then create an environment that's just fun too. And so as a dad, I try to be involved in all their coaching of their sports programs get them to think differently with a growth mindset because it's what I teach in schools. Share them what I believe in. Like one thing that I thought was interesting is like my wife came up with this plan for our whole family to develop goals. And uh, my seven-year-old went and grabbed a piece of paper and wrote down five goals. And one of his goals was uh, personal time. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean by personal time, bud? And he said, well, remember that time when um, Keaton was, you know, at the hospital with, with mom and it was just you and Trevin and I, and you said that you just need one hour of personal time and everything. And I said, you're right, Kellen. I did. I just, I, it was just the three of us and I needed a moment to just have some dad time uh, alone, whether it was working out or whatever. 
And uh, so he took that and he internalized it. And he said, I want, I want to have personal time for myself. And I said, what does that mean? And he's like, I don't know, go into my room and uh, playing with Legos or doing art and craft or something on my own time for an hour. And I said, that's great. And I said, you know, those are moments that I feel like I'm doing something right as a parent. If I can only show what I, what I care about and what I value, but that they can learn from it and, and change it to what they, what they care about. And what has been the most important thing that you've learned in your process of, you know, having a life or when you know you were a kid and you were bullied all the way to now being married and being a father what would you kind of say is the one life lesson that has really stuck out to you the most in terms of you know building that identity and having that accountability the one phrase that i uh, try to get our kids to do every day and i think this matters for just building overall good character which is I asked them, what is one act of kindness that you do, that you did today? And I think there's a lot built into that, which is, I'm not asking them to focus 100% of their day on always helping other people. And I think helping people is powerful. But I am asking them that no matter what they do on their given day, I want them to put themselves in a situation where they have at least one act of kindness and being able to share about it. Because I feel like in those moments is where you create feelings of happiness. And the more we do that, we're able to be happy within ourselves and the more we have to give to others. And so that's one thing that I ask them every day at the dinner table, one act of kindness. The other thing is just Carol Dweck wrote a book called Mindset. And it it's all about teaching parents and school systems and everything and businesses even how to lead with a growth mindset. And so one foundational skill that I am trying to instill with my kids that I'm that I've learned is to break down every single moment of a fixed mindset within a given day. Because the fun way to think about this, I often share this with like in elementary elementary schools because the kids are so much younger. But boxes, like we live in so many boxes. Like our you know our house is a box, our fridge is a box, we shower in a box, our car is a box. A lot of us eat box packaged goods. And what I get at that is like, don't let the world shape you into a box. And the best way to do that is to go through every day and thinking about where every opportunity is to maximize your enjoyment and your growth and yourself. And if you don't allow the world to put boxes around you, then you don't allow that to happen. And you ask better questions that help you. Well, I think my last three questions for every podcast episode I do are, what is one thing that your father taught you or a male mentor in your life taught you that you carry in your life every day? Yeah. So my, my dad was a tremendously determined person and he didn't have a lot growing up as a kid and grew up in an area that was quite diverse you know the school that he grew up in had a lot of segregation between blacks and whites and they created a lot of fights and it was very difficult to get along but one thing that that really taught him was how to build better character in himself and you know how he coped with anger and all that and stuff was to channel it through boxing. And so he was a boxer when he was a kid. 
But the one thing that I've always um, admired with my dad is no matter what situation he was in, whether it was his childhood or his life or the struggles that he had, even in professionalism and business and everything. And there was points there where he was jumping around different sales jobs. Now he's super successful, but he, at the time he even met my mom, he had three jobs. He was working all around the clock. And the reason that he did that is he wanted a better life, not only for himself and for, for my mom, but for his kids someday. And so I think that said a lot for me because even when I was in high school, my first job was when I was 13. And I worked as a, a contractor and helped build houses when I was 13. I had a second job at a video store when I was in high school in the midst of playing sports and everything too. And then when I got to college, I had two jobs to help me get through college and everything too. And so I think there's one thing that my dad's taught me is that if you want to create a better place for yourself that you got to have grit and determination and be willing to put in the work and I think that that character that he demonstrated helped me build character myself amazing the second last question I have is uh, what is one thing you wish your father taught you to accept what I believe is the best thing that I have to offer to the world and I guess what I mean by that is I think when we know better, we do better. And back then, when I started to show how much I cared about people and how much I loved to, to get out there and speak and help educate and coach and everything, I would have loved for him to tell me to just go do that. But my assumption and in, in some conversations that we've had too in the past is that, you know, nobody in his family had went to college yet, right? And so I was one of the first generations, well, actually to my grandma or, or his mom, I was the first generation to go to college. And I remember the look on my grandma's face, like when she was at the ceremony, when I was getting my certificate, like it was just this proud, proud, proud grandma moment. I feel like that might've been the driver to, you know, get good grades in school so you can go to college and get a good degree and, and get a job, you know, and I think that that's ta taught to a lot of people. But what I try to share and teach in schools today is like, yes, you should go get an education. And yes, colleges can help provide you that. But you should always have the intention of what you want to do. And where you want to go with that, because we're all great at building towards something. And I want to help teach kids what that looks and feels like before they even get to a concept of college so that they know how great they already are and how they can pursue the right tools to help them build to a better version of themselves. And so I wish somebody had told me that when I was younger. I think that kind of answers the next question a bit. But uh, the last question I always ask is, what is the one message you want to pass on to your boys over the future generation? Choose a life led by yourself on your own terms and that's going to look different to everybody but the moment where you accept somebody else's vision i think is the moment where you start going down the opposite blueprint of where you want to be and what that does is it causes you to stumble for potentially many years until you find your way back 
And that might be considered what's called the breaking point for most people. And so I'm going to try my best uh, to not only educate our kids, but when I speak in these schools, help kids understand what that looks like and to not accept anything less so that they can find their way towards their blueprint and love life, man. Life's too short. Is there anything else you'd love to leave with the listeners, the audience, the fans? Well, first of all, Luke's awesome. Thanks, buddy, for having me on this. I really appreciate it. You're going down a path of great things, especially the high fives in the culture and the happiness in the sales organization, man. I love that. So um, don't lose that no matter what. And so that's awesome. Um, But the last thought I would have is just tell yourself you're freaking awesome every day. So you probably saw it. I have every time I, I do these, I have this I have this huge poster in the back and it says, you are freaking awesome. And it's because there are so many things in the world that we could choose to focus on that might not bring us happiness or that might steal our energy and our thoughts towards a place we don't want to be. But at the end of the day, just remind yourself that you're freaking awesome. You know, most of us are are fortunate to live in areas of abundance and maximize that. Just, you know, be positive, love yourself. When you know that you're awesome, then you can deliver awesomeness to other people. I screenshot that sign so that I can use it in some IG, uh, Instagram promotions for you or something. Cause I, I love that sign. And those are some wise words to leave off the podcast with. First off, why don't you tell everyone where they can reach you? Yeah. So I mentioned earlier that I do my own agriculture company uh, too. So if you're curious about that space, we do a lot of work with food networks and trying to build up local food and farming because we believe it matters to retain our soil and everything. And so if you're somebody that cares about that, farmbridge.com, F-A-R-M-B-R-I-G-G-E.com. They can reach us that way to learn more. Even if you're a farmer and you're curious about what we're doing too, my email address is troy.rice at farmbridge.com. Again, F-A-R-M-B-R-I-G-G-E.com. The other business and speaking in schools, I have my own website. It's troy-rice.com. And then you can also find both of those, uh, whatever your interest is, you can find both of those on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook by just searching FarmBridge or uh, Troy Rice. And I'll include some of those links in the bio as well. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been your host, Luke West, with his guest, Troy Rice. Uh, As he said, you can find them on IG, LinkedIn, Twitter, and their websites, which I'll include in the bio. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review on iTunes or message me on Instagram at The Imperfect Pod or connect with me on LinkedIn at Luke West. I'd love to hear what you have to say, what you learned, and let's build a world of intentional and purposeful conversations. And I'll talk to you all soon.